Hello, this is Ryan. Hi, this is Tim. We don't have ads. Well, now we do. This is an ad. We <laughs> ask for you to please tell a friend if you're enjoying our show. And of course, leaving a review on iTunes helps out tremendously. It'd be awesome if you guys could do that. Either way, though, we thank you for being here. On, on with the, the show. that from ryan it's from today's film tim <gasps> that was my way of saying hello to you hello hello and hello everyone listening welcome to october 2020 if you're listening to this live as a new release uh hello to wherever you are if you aren't here slash there um <laughs> but wherever whenever and wherever you may be you are currently in at with dismembering horror that's right dismembering horror the podcast shoe where myself ryan mcduffie and myself tim aslin that's right we dismember a horror film every week we talk about what worked for us what did not work for us and anything else we found interesting or noteworthy about a horror film and we are in the month of October, so in a in a two year running tradition, we like to come up with a a theme or a series to cover. And this marks the first episode of what will be our four parter, I suppose, of the Scream quadrilogy. While it is still a quadrilogy, mm. yep, Ghostface. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we mentioned kind of in our last episode when we were setting up how we'd be doing the Scream movies and kind of like I just said now that, uh, you know, it's, it's there's four Scream movies in our reality right now. There's soon to be a fifth one, I believe, slated for 2022. The first one without Wes Craven's involvement. Um, the second one without Kevin Williamson as a writer, though he was executive producing. And I, I say, oh, and then I wanted to say too, um, we're watching them one by one here. This isn't like we've watched all four and we're coming back to, um, to, you know, come at from that context. But Tim had, I believe hasn't seen this first one for a while. Is that right? Oh man. I was thinking maybe 20 years. Okay. And then same with the, the second and third you haven't seen since they've come out. Right. I. I, yeah, I think that's right. I think I saw the second one in the theater and the third one, like when it came out on, you know, home video or whatever. And, the, and that's it. The fourth, fourth one, one. I don't think so. Fourth one he hasn't seen. You'd remember if you had, it's came out in 2011. Really? And it. Oh, it's that recent? Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I haven't seen that. And it, uh, not a spoiler, but just so you know where I'm at, um, Scream 4. I love, I love, love, love it. I'm excited to cover it for the show. Um, and I've seen the third one. I watched a bunch um, just because I happen to have like the DVD. Um, <laughs> and then the second one, I've probably seen the least. This first one, I think I did watch last Halloween or about a year ago. 
Which one has Jada Smith in it? Jada Pinkett? I forget. I think, Jada Pinkett. Is that the second one? I don't know. I've seen that one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Great. She's yep. not she's not in the fourth one, so that's why I guess the second. Okay. Anyway, so this is kind of a fun, you know, we're t- doing it movie by movie here. And I kind of say that all as a way to sort of tie back into a big part of the spirit of what this show is, is we do treat it like sort of marathon in movies with a friend where after you watch one, you do exactly what we're doing. We're, We're dismembering it. We're sitting, we're talking about it, shooting the shite, all that good fun stuff. We're sitting and talking about it. We're shooting each other's shit. Now, how is that Wait a, a Scream reference? It's not. Okay. <laughs> it's a Tim reference. It's just me singing. Great. Well, anything else you'd want to say? Um, I was going to say say or sing, but how about just say, Tim, anything else you want to? <laughs> no, I just want to sing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I, I don't know what to say there because I think we should just watch the trailer. Unless you want to keep it, <laughs> unless you want to keep it short. Let's watch the trailer to scream the movie. Perfect. All right. From 1996, you know it. I know it. We love it. Here we go. Scream. Hello. Hello. Who is this? You tell me your name, I'll tell you mine. Uh, I don't think so. What's that noise? Popcorn. You're making popcorn? Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Just some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh Uh-huh. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. Someone is playing a deadly game. It all began with a scream over 911. Someone who's seen one too many scary movies. Now, he's taken his love of fear. Hello? Hello, Sydney. One step too far. Do you like scary movies? What's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act who's always running up the stairs when she should be going out the front door. It's insulting. There are certain rules that one must Wow, uh, 90s movie trailers were kind of terrible, huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, some fun things... I that- don't know. I thought that was very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me why, but so, wait, some things I just wanted to point out before they float away. Uh, that was the Nightmare on Elm Street music at the beginning of that trailer. Okay. And then <laughs> um, I just thought it was fun how the movie, how the trailer, you know, it blatantly reinforces the idea of one killer, one male killer. He, he is fed up with this. Right, he does right. that. That was kind of smart. Cool. Yeah. And um, also reinforces, you know, that Drew Barrymore is likely, you know, a star. She is in the movie, so mm-hmm. it's fun too. Shh. Spoiler: She's not. <laughs> what did you like about the trailer that I thought was, I guess, just what a product of its time? I don't want to. I like. On it that I like much. how they did a post camera shake in a lot of the <laughs> in a lot of the shots. <laughs> it's already a handheld in a lot of, in the movie, but they like double down on the shakiness to make it seem more intense because it's the 90s and everything was extreme yeah it's more extreme than the 80s it has 
Seven X's. X, 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 Extreme. Mm-hmm. Scream Extreme. Great. Well, Tim, I'd love to know, per our rating system, would you tell yourself regarding Scream to avoid it, stream it, rent it, or buy it? Well, Ryan, I'm glad you asked, because I would buy it. Why is that? Plain and simple. Um... You know how I like complain a lot about how character story is sort of woven and like when things don't coalesce in like a deeper sort of constructive meaning or or just clever way that gets us into it or excited. This does. Yes. Like does all of the things that I usually am complaining about. It's doing them. Yeah. Like every single one. Or like, it's, it's not doing the things you complain it's, about. <laughs> it's not doing the things I... It's doing the things I complain about right. Yeah, got it. <laughs> cool. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like every single character gives clues. A lot of the clues are misdirections. Uh, a lot of the story is a misdirection, but leading to a catharsis that actually has a purpose. <laughs> Who would have thought, right? Yeah, the way you a, say that. What a revelation. So, it, it, and it's just, it's its own self-awareness and self-referential nature is, I think, largely the reason it was such a huge success. Yeah. Because it knows what it's doing. It's smart. It knows what it is. Yeah. We watch a lot of movies where we kind of go, I don't think that they know what movie they're making. Yeah. Like they just haven't fully formed it yet. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, the screenwriter Kevin Williamson, you know, when they were um, sort of looking at the short list of directors, there are a few names on there. But uh, he went through like four, you know, big names. But it was he said something like, none of them are getting it. They're treating it like it's just a comedy. They just aren't getting it. So uh, luckily, Wes Craven came along. Um, yeah. Hey, luckily, man. Luckily, no shit. <laughs> Holy fuck. Can you imagine if it wasn't done by him? You would lose so much. Yeah. Um, great. Well, I got a second that by it, of course. I mean, more just... Of course, I love that. Exactly what you said is all indicative of one run reason, one reason why it's a great film. But I mean, it's just that it is so overall solid and a slasher movie. I'm like, hell yeah, put it on the shelf. I'm happy to have it. And I think like maybe, I guess, yeah, to put maybe the things that, you know, are more most important to me that the film does so well, I just realized is um, where it just feels so correct into itself, where it feels like it's an entirely like a mood a feel to mm. it like the end result you you know you just feel serendipity is on its side in a lot of ways like yeah. it's just sort of like the easy way to put it is just like the feel of the the score when she's talking on that huge balcony and like looking over there it just it puts you in that time and place you know uh in that world is a better way to put it which is always my favorite thing and the scream world is just a cool unique one that um I'm not unique. Well, you get what I'm saying. But, um, and it's just so made so much by kind of like what you you were saying by all the character pieces and motivations, all that being put together. Yeah, that really draws me in too, just as far as, um, 
yeah, on the character interaction level, I get really caught mm-hmm. up in. But yeah. uh, we'll save more of that for for after we summarize it. So so because that's what's next, we try to give a quick little summary so you can plug into how we, Tim and myself, viewed this film, <laughs> how we describe it. Uh, yeah. You ready? Yeah. You want to go? Here's my summary. A group of 20-somethings inexplicably get held back to high school. (laughs) (laughs) Antics ensue. No. Okay, so here's the summary. The summary is that in a group of high school kids uh, in their small little town of Woodsboro, California, or Woodboro, I forget, um, a killer – has got you know is on the loose or whatever is starting to kill people and uh you know one of their high school friends gets killed and so the town kind of goes on lockdown but they ignore the lockdown because they're high school kids and they hang out and they party and whatnot and we follow the story of sydney who is still grieving the loss and murder of her mother from a year prior. And her boyfriend is kind of a douchebag, and he's mad that since her mom died that she won't have sex with him, which is super lame. Um, But, you know, they're all kind of trying to figure out how to navigate this potential killer on the loose and who he's after. Turns out he's after her. Mm Mm-hmm. And with the help of some of her friends and the kind of uh, inadvertent allyship with the news reporter who really slandered her mom in in the trial from a year prior over who killed her mom. This guy uh, named uh, – oh, shit. What was his name? Damn it. Cotton Weary. Uh, Cotton. Thank you. Jesus. Big part of the scream lore is hearing that name a lot. That's right. (laughs) So, you know, Gail Weathers, the reporter, you know, has kind of exploited this case for her own gain. But she ends up being a uh, an ally to Sydney in the end. Um, And then, you know. Antics ensue. We 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 get some cool deaths. We like friends start getting picked off by the killer, and then friends and Fonzies. That's right, and Fonzies. Uh, there's a lot of who could be the killer mystique going on. Lots of uh, hat tips to possible clues of this guy wears the same shoes as the killer. This guy, you know, is acting a little psychotic this guy is doing this or that or the other thing and who done it who could it be and then our turns out yeah it's her boyfriend and and his friend yeah <laughs> it's two people and that's how we get around all of the like oh well it can't be this person because if it was this person he was in jail at the time so it was somebody else but it wasn't it was somebody else but they're in cahoots yep so much cahoots and at the end, it's kind of like they did it because there's what I like about. Oh, I'm going to already start talking about what's good, but the motive is twofold. It's one is philosophical and one is literal. Yes. 
And that I think actually is a really big part of what makes this work all around. But that's it. That's the story. Great. Love it. All right. Well, I think that's that. So should we get into our first big section here and talk about what worked? Definitely. All right. Here we go for Scream What Worked. What worked? What worked for you? What worked for you? It worked like a charm, Smith. What worked? It sounded like you sort of wanted to continue a thought there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I, I if you haven't seen this, I, I mean, get, get, like, get with it. Well, we already ruined it. I mean, Jesus. So, so give it 10 <laughs> years and then watch it again. <laughs> you know? Right. Okay, so we all know at the end of the day, it's Billy and uh, Scott or something like that. <laughs> Seth, Stu. Scott, Stu, whatever. <laughs> fucking matthew lillard that's who it is yeah anyway exactly. so they're the killers they they're co-killers in this and that's one of the big twist sort of reveals and it explains a bunch of how they got away with this because there's all these moments where it's like you know if you're suspecting billy we see billy like he's in a position where he can't be the killer in in a certain moment and vice versa with Stu, and there's a lot of them like popping up right after the killer has just attacked. And so it's just really masterfully sort of woven where like, man, I mean, even watching it this time, I, I was like, cause I know the ending. I was like, it's so obvious between the, the interactions between those two characters and anybody else, they are tipping their hand constantly that they're the bad and guys. And I feel like that's part of the, that's one of the hallmarks of what makes a Scream movie in a way. That makes right. it, it's so fun in the end, is you're but just playing those mind games with you. They do, the whole movie does a thing where like, almost scene one, I mean, after the cold opening scene, every time you see Billy or Stuart, Stu? Stu, just Stu. <laughs> shit. Every time you see them, there's a little bit of this sort of interaction of like, oh shit, like, don't don't let on. And we're like, oh my God, that's so obvious. They must, they can't be the killer. Right. And then they do that same thing with a bunch of other characters. Yeah. They do it with Henry Winkler. They do it with the dad. They do it with the cop. They even do it with Dewey. Right, right. Right? Like they keep go they keep making us question the obvious. I think um an element to that that makes it so fun I picked up on this time or hadn't really thought about before was just how brilliant it is on the level of acting that's going on. Where yeah. where, you know, from those get go first scenes, they're they're playing with our, our trust of just how we you know, when, when they're just lying their heart out saying, no, I'm not the killer. Well, you know, whatever they're saying. Any situation, every time they're on screen, they're essentially lying, you know, or being someone else. And right. Or, or or doing the the thing that I constantly am asking movies to do, which is have a character that hangs a lantern on the problems or potential like obvious nature of these plots, which is the Jamie Kennedy character. You know, and he's perfect because he does exactly what you're saying, except he's not lying. 
Right. <laughs> he's go. He's the one saying, you're right. Like, this is all bullshit. That guy's probably the killer, which he's correct in. And he, but he says, but actually, I have just as much motive too. I, I, you should be worried about me. I could be the killer. Like, yeah. it totally makes sense. If we're following the rules of horror films, I'm the killer too. He's like, what? seals the deal for these movies having that voice in these movies where there's that's what i'm saying like the meta quality being injected in it it's incredible it's so important and you can do this he's very overt the way they wrote that character is super overt, and that's great for this style but you can do it in a more subtle way in a different type of horror film. But I think it's really necessary a lot of the time, especially if you are doing a lot of potentially convoluted misdirections. Right. Right. You need somebody to kind of be like, hang on a second. Like, and it's come es- on. especially fun when he's doing that. Hang on a second to the two killers, because like, let's see that scene right. in the video store where Matthew Lillard is like, well, I think it was the dad. And then, you know, um, I don't want to say Jamie Kennedy and then Randy, you know, has Randy, a response. Right? <laughs> he has a or his response to it or whatever. Um, well, it's- and and. To the point of good screenwriting and like perfectly timed structure, that is the midpoint of the movie. Yes. The midpoint of the movie tells us who the killers are. Right. It really does straight on. And that's important because then it sets us up for all of these other misdirects to be like, well, they can't have just told us the ending. So let's look for another answer. And that leads us through the the second half of the second act into the big reveal right and like that's just like if you draw the chart of how to fucking like structure these plot points that that's the way you do it like that makes it it's it's proving the point that so many people have come to understand as how you do structure well and um what i'm not saying you have to do it that way but when you do it tends to fucking work. And that's just the thing with the, this movie and these movies when they're when they're working great. It's just like, how are you doing? How am I still not guessing like who the killer is? How am I still not <laughs> right. figuring out when it's just woven into it? You know, it's brilliant. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of like a magician. A good magician will actually show you the trick. Right. He'll show you how to how he's doing the trick or she's doing the trick. And that in and of itself, the obvious nature of being like, see, I've got all these things in my hand is the misdirect. Well, it's it's interesting because like there's well, there's different kinds of misdirects going on where you have just sort of other ways you're sort of, um, um you know, um, whatever expectation, you know, playing against expectations. Yeah. Like, let's just say it. it's, yeah, thanks. It's, it's as far as the beginning, like it's hard to imagine now. Hey, I mean, I remember you said you saw it in theaters, but like, and you know, we all, if you know, are of this age, we remember maybe a first time seeing it, but now it is hard to think of that first scene. Just not know, like, like we just know Drew Barrymore, you know, it's a, the scene where Drew Barrymore gets killed. That's what it is right. now. But then, right. And, you know, when it came out, it was the scene where Drew Barrymore didn't or didn't live (laughs) was, you know, what I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. So all of a sudden at that point, to my point, you know, that's when the audience goes, oh, well, anyone can die. Anyone can be the killer. Anything can happen. Um, So it's just this sort of interesting, like, play with 
telling us what it is and throwing us off different ways. It's it's kind of the psycho, you know, thing, right? It's like act. We've up to that point, we kind of knew the damsel in distress lead lead woman in in a suspenseful movie mm-hmm. was the lead. And Hitchcock was like, actually, I'm just going to fucking do a different thing and blow everybody's mind. Right. Right. Like once you do that as a filmmaker and you let the audience know that all bets are off, we are totally primed for anything. Yes. And it's just it's like the best laying of of that groundwork for the audience to just be like, oh, shit. So all that is kind of what it's doing in the interesting how it's balancing the who done it aspect mm-hmm, of the story. Mm-hmm. And but something I was kind of paying attention to this time watching that was interesting was how like what is ghost face and like what kind of threat is this and just like what is ghost face as ghost face represent. So and this this well, goes Yeah. I, well, here, that's the that's the philosophical side of this that I think is so smart. Yeah. Well, here's here's what I had to say about or here's what I thought on it was um kind of like what makes Ghostface Ghostface. Um as compared to like let's say, you know, it's it's um it's an evolution or it's not so much an evolution but like a killer that's aware of that the previous ones were the Freddy Kruegers, the Jasons. Mm-hmm. You know, some something with a more supernatural, hyper realistic bent to them. So so I think that's a, that's a key ghost face thing that we see is that it's just a person under this garb, which makes yes. it so they are they are fightable, if you will. Like from that very first Drew Barrymore scene, like, you know, he she like trips him and kicks him in the nuts yeah. or whatever. So we get, OK, you know, it's it's not like a total unstoppable Jason that's right. menace. That's important. Um, but then you kind of go, well, what is that doing? Why is it still scary? So what that does is it's interesting. It cements us in a certain kind of realism of, oh, this is a real threat because, you know, kind of like what Scream's doing as a whole is uh, Freddy Krueger's blah, blah, blah. You know, now we're just seeing those as movie threats, not real threats kind of thing. That's how it's a continuation of it. Um, but then the, the I think the biggest thing, like the real the real and I'm talking about ghost face as ghost face here. Like it's always changing mm-hmm. who it is. So this is as a kind of um, a figure, you know, or whatever. Right. Um, but the knife, that's what makes ghost face go face. Is there's such an immediacy to like, even though like when, when we kind of get caught up in a, a character getting chased by ghost face in the scene, that's the threat that we feel. It's like, even though maybe we can hit them back a little or, or slam the door into their face, they have that knife that we just feel it's impending slice, if you will. Um, yeah. And they, they emphasize this too. They give ghost face a particular mannerism with the knife, which is that if the knife is bloody, he wipes the blood off of it, right? Like he pulls his hand across the blade oh, yeah, and cleans the knife. And that's that. a that's a recurring thing. Yeah. So it be it sort of cements the the iconography of the of this character. And it also is a way to make us think that it is still just one guy, right? Because if you have one guy like if you have a specific behavior, you would never think to yourself, oh, 
if it's two guys, they're both doing this behavior that is specific to the iconography of Ghostface. Right. It's a really good way to get us to go, this is an, a singular entity. Right. It has behavior. It has characteristic. It's a klutz, but it's a kind of – it's a little bit omnipresent, right? Like it can – be anywhere and we kind of that's what i think is so so great about it is this this dichotomy of a it's one thing that um that you can battle right it 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 gives us a sense of it's it's just a guy but it also can be anywhere at any time right like it defies some laws seemingly some laws of like just reality how is it outside that door and also a second later in the closet or whatever not just to mention of an era where cell phones were a bit more magic too of like oh making (laughs) a call from anywhere that's right and so that that kind of those the duality uh of grounded realism and omnipresence is great in and of itself but once we know that it's two people that actually have a shared goal, but like two separate uh, philosophies of why they're doing it, motive, it, it it makes it all make sense. Yeah, which is even more pleasing. Like the catharsis of Matthew of Stu saying, "Like we're just doing it because." It's fun and we're crazy and we're like we love horror films and like it doesn't really mean anything because life doesn't mean anything. He's got this very nihilistic sort of philosophy of why they're doing it. Right. He's like, that's the beauty of it. There is no motive. And then we, we do get, though, it's like and that's then Billy's like, actually, my motive is you, your mom, <laughs> like split my parents marriage up. It's, it's cool. like that's really concrete we, and grounded in reality. <laughs> we do get enough of just sort of, though, how Stu is a person who reached this point where we get some allusion to broken home and um yeah yeah i mean i think Stu, Stu sort of is more representative of the 90s kid well like the the former sort of latchkey kid with 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 distant parents and what struck- you know left to his own devices right. the and the quote-unquote like the trope of the mtv generation well and also what's what's what worked, I thought I really liked what helped me maybe buy into the reality of it. And this was just so much of the time too, you know, just sort of not separating violence, not being able to separate, you know, movie violence and real violence. Like Stu's not that far removed from the people who are the other dudes at the end who, when they hear their principal's been killed, That's get right. excited to see their dead principal. Yeah, or the, douche, or the, the douchebags in the hallway who are wearing the the costume and running by Sydney. It's like, yeah, come on, man. Like your fellow students are getting killed and you're joking around. And that's just the worst of it. But you generally have the whole school is treating it like a party and a fascination. Right. You know? And then that that extends to then the media too that interesting line of what's just reporting on it but then gail's like seems just to be interested in the, the getting a pulitzer prize and not actually you know sydney's well-being yeah cool. it's it's this sort of it's this this coalescence of selfishness and nep- and um nihilism 
that did exist in the 90s. Remember, this is pre 9-11, which is really important to to like state in sort of the context of what was happening in the world. We the U.S. was in this strange bubble of like prosper, prospering uh, caveat for white people. Which, mind you, there are no black people, no people of color whatsoever in this entire movie. And also note they're all rich, too. Exactly. So it is really a commentary on this sort of bubble of, you know, prosperity and what it, what is that even – like what purpose do we have as humans if, we're, if everything's just fine? And we sort of know like we – there's a lot of, out there about that time and, and, and what happens to us when we kind of are left to be in total comfort with no real conflict and no real like struggle. And oftentimes you get these strange psychological like uh, lashing out or, or – uh, backlash with the youth. A really good example is the uh, I think it's called the black metal murders uh, in uh, Norway or Sweden, which came out of like super affluent kids who really like they had not a whole lot going on. They had nothing to pursue. They had nothing to fight for. And they just kind of seemingly I mean, there's lots of uh, you know, articles and books and stuff on why this all came about. But they ended up just becoming super destructive and like killing each other or or like burning churches or just like they'd like it's almost like a it's like when you have a dog who you don't give boundaries to. <laughs> they just tear the fucking couch up because they like they go, I don't know what to do. Well, that's I mean, I mean, this is well, this is all great. And I think kind of speaks to the point why films like this are important to be able to like look at you know a dissect a time in this way but i mean hearing you talk about it what i think is interesting is it's about how like you know you describe that that bubble or whatever the the classist bubble the privileged bubble um we're so you know media whatever just kind of in the zeitgeist told oh this is these are people who are healthy. These are people who have made it. These are people who are okay. But like we see in that real life, you know, um, instance you described, I mean, every, you know, every, but in terms of killers, uh, and then what we see with, you know, Billy and, um, Stu in this is no, these, these privileged people, they aren't doing so hot because they're, they're they're living in a world where their bubble is dependent on people not doing well. And that's that's something that I think really screws up all of us who aren't yeah. necessarily uh, in you know the uh, immediate um immediate receivers of or more obvious receivers of the the woes of the world. I think one of my favorite moments in this entire movie is when Billy and Stu have to exchange stabs. So good. And Billy stabs Stu a few times too many. And Stu has this moment where he's like, I'm really hurting here, man. Like, I think I think I might be dying. And there's this like this vague realization of maybe we took this too far. Like, maybe this was like we fucked up and this was a bad idea all around because we didn't really look at the potential consequences of us not succeeding with our plan. And there's this like really nice kind of 
lens on the naivete of their privilege. Right. They just assume that they can get away with it. Well, also, it's 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 not an um yeah, it's an assumption. But what's fun too is that it's not just like it's. It's an assumption based on they have planned it and thought about it, you know, thinking, oh, you know, we're going to pull this off. It's easy. And they base all that research, they say, on watching horror movies, which right. is kind of a side note. It's, it's why I think it's so fun with um, you have Randy as the actual film geek who, like, then we see being testing them. Like, they think yeah. they know the rules and how to get with it. But then when they're being confronted with what Randy has to say. Uh, who's the real geek, aka expert on all this stuff? It's kind of fun to see them, uh, you know, sowing some doubt in them. Because you mentioned, yeah, I mean, it's it the thing. I think it's this thing. This is this is a thing that is really pleasing to me. So we live in a society that oftentimes, generationally, right? I think our generation and maybe the next one after us really, really promoted this idea of like, you're great. You can do anything you want if you put your mind to it. And it kind of ignores the tenets that previous generations had of like, hard work is how you achieve something. It it skips that step. And for a lot of people, I think they, we saw this happen, you know, through kind of the, American Idol is actually kind of a good example where you have people show up who are completely unaware of their lack of talent because they've been told that they're good by people who don't either don't know what they're talking about or are just blowing smoke up their butts because they don't want to tell somebody that they're not good. This like weird politeness problem. Right. And that exists in this movie, right? Like these guys are surprised when the they're pretty hackneyed plan like it's pretty like they're not good at well, being killers hey no but they've had a year of being successful killers of doing a successful like world no, famous no they they've had a they've framing. had a year they've had a year of accidental success right like they're they're no, no, klutzes no, they were but they intentionally framed cotton weary that's that's true that's what i'm saying you're right that's the high horse they've been sitting on this whole time right and they just it's this sort of arrogance of like oh yeah i don't really have to work that hard at this i can just do it because that's my station in life right like i'm a privileged kid who gets to do what he wants well it's interesting how that's an inverse and a response to the henry winkler generation our parents generation before of where it's just the opposite. It's almost like you, any kind of like maybe yeah, personal um, talents you want to pursue or actual interest are completely aside the point of just working hard. That's right. That's right. It's a re- it's a reaction to that in a lot of ways. Yeah. But now um, it's really fascinating to see that kind of layered in there. It's not overt, right? But yeah. it's just sort of it's kind of baked into the characters. Right. Um, and philosophically, it's it's telling us a lot by having these little side sort of scenes or, or moments, character moments that, you know, Lil, uh, Stu really going, oh, shit. And like, you know, the determination or the, the kind of the constant 
freight train of Billy being like his whole issue is that he's not getting his way. Mm-hmm. Right. He he's such a dick about it, too. Right. Like he's like he's a dick about oh, everything. Like, why don't you just get over your mom dying so we can fuck? He's like such a dick. What a piece of shit. Right? I love when uh Rose McGowan, you know, the friend uh t- what's her name? T- Tatum. Um yeah. when she basically basically says, you know, to Sydney, like, no, you're way too good for him and his dick or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's good. I mean, it's just it's so this is all to say, really, I think at the end of the day, what what this all points at is Really, really clean character development that has motivation, even if the motivation is nihilistic or sort of ethereal. It's if it's defined, you can build on that and have moments that speak to it that aren't so like in your face, but are impactful. We feel them. Um, I think we often watch movies where we go this that and the other thing we're missing and therefore we could never really connect with any of these people but we connect with every fucking character in this yeah they're really clear and they're not caricatures they have point of view they they are grounded in a reality they may be goofy like like stew is goofy as hell but we all know a stew yeah right so I, I think that that to me is like the one of the major, major successes of of the movie all around. My favorite moment with Billy Loomis, you know, Skeet Ulrich, Billy, the boyfriend. He's just, he is so unlikable. Right. The, the only moment is unlikable. The, the only moment where that, that I that I'm like, oh, here's some actual like fun stuff to him. Maybe, maybe what she, is when he um after he's snuck into a room or broken into a room, whatever, comes through the window and he's hiding behind the bed and he holds up the stuffed animal and makes like oh don't like little stuffed animal noises the only moment where i'm like oh he's he's willing to to not just act like mr cool <laughs> right right um, but all all for you know an agenda which is how do i get in this girl's pants and but it's a double agenda right 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 he, he's not just trying to get laid he's trying to assert his sort of like his revenge through dominance, yeah. which is a pretty complex fucking like character uh, point of view. Like it's not just about having sex and the actual. OK, so this brings me to like this is why this movie is fucking brilliant. <laughs> Great. <laughs> In previous horror films, it was just about sex. And they they take all of the tropes of all of the previous horror films that we know, right? And they layer them as the foundational behavior, but add through the lens of motivational behavior, which is another story. Like, that's the actual story of the film. And doing that layering, being self-aware within the character, but also within the, in the story – and being referential from this foundational point of view of what came before, but adding the the actual depth of character motivation to that, it it converges into this really masterful tale that has both those things. And it's just fucking amazing to watch. Even if you don't like sort of that era, like the kind of there's a lot of 90s-ness to oh, it. But it's just so fun it when it's doesn't in this. It doesn't matter. It, it's great and it works when it's in 
not not so much what you're saying like what i the 90s stuff um we we know what we're talking about i'm trying to give it here here's an example like it works for me in this sense because of the self-aware aspect to it like yes. you know how like I'll, I'll i'll rage on um what is it called i don't know it's like one of those blumhouse movies where it's like you know, perfectly <laughs> like okay ending but then they have to add that little jump scare moment at the end like that final yeah. loud noise shock this does it but it's okay because it is it's what it's about it's like it's metally yeah. it's in a meta sense about that theater going experience and just yep. doing it because like we're allowed to laugh with it from a more, you know, intellectual standpoint. You know, it's it's the only movie that that little jump scare at the end like works in that sense for me. I mean, they're literally calling it out before it happens. Yeah. Here's what's about to happen. Yeah, uh, well, that's just the movies. Then it happens. Fuck that. Oh, oh you're talking about. I'm the, not going to let that happen. Wait, you, you, like, you're talking about something different. Genius. I was talking about like the literal like when it, you know, it we we fade to the sunset or whatever that fades. And then we get a final blink. And it's just like a generic. I think the title <laughs> comes up. It's just like a sound <laughs> and a flash of white and some image. Do you know what I'm yeah, talking but, about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all part of the same framework of what you're saying. That sort of self-aware, self-referential. It's here's it's. It's it's acknowledging that we are on the ride with the movie. Right. Um, Whereas a lot of movies are too precious about it. They're like, hoo, 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 we're going to get the audience. It's like, no, dude, like we've seen movies before. <laughs> You're not yeah. going to get us. You're just going to annoy us to death. Right. Right. So it like but at the same time, we want to those experiences and we want sure. those mo moments. So this is a way, this is how it does it. That's what they have to offer. Um, but it really does it through character. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we yeah. care so much about these people. Right. Well, and again, coupled with the sort of the self-aware meta writing yeah. standpoint, just writing it from that standpoint. Dude. I mean, when you see Ghostface standing behind Randy and Randy is talking to Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween saying he's behind you. He's behind you. That there that couldn't be a more perfect movie like horror movie moment. Right. Because a bunch of stuff is going on. The joke is landing. But we're also really scared for Randy because he's been great the whole time. We're yeah. like, oh, fuck. No, don't kill Randy. Randy's yeah. awesome. He's <laughs> he needs to survive. And then when he doesn't get killed there, we're like cheering. And then he gets shot and we're like, fuck, why'd you do it? Why'd you do it? And then he comes back and we're like, yes, fuck. Yes. Randy's back. Right. Woo. It's OK. <laughs> the world's OK, everybody like that. Having those, you know, succession of beats is it's just so fucking well done with well, this is um. I want to touch more on just kind of that whole ending chunk, but um, well, here, here's a way for us to get into it. Maybe it's kind of transitioned from like kind of what we were talking before. Um, I just want to get my two favorite lines, share mm. those with you. They were at the end and have a lot to do, I think, with what, we were, what we've been talking about. Um, the first one is, I may not have it word for word, but basically I think it's, um, it's uh, Billy says, it's just sort of like, in the end, the end fight, he kind of says it pretty quickly, but he says, um, movies don't make psychos. They make psychos more creative. Mm hmm. 
that that was that was very important because that touches on just not like what um, the movie is doing in a sense of building on previous you know horror movies. But um, yeah, I think there's something absolutely to that. What we've been talking to about real world violence and movies relation yeah. to it. I think that that's Wes Craven. Uh, Again, Kevin Williamson writing wrote it. Right. I think that's the. I think that's a. That is them commenting on the shit that they've been given over the years for what they're like. People are always like. Why Why do you make this horrible stuff? It's just going to make kids be crazy. Well, it's, and it's like it's mm. and that's kind of what we said. Like, you know, if that's people who think that are in that that privilege bubble, maybe we talk about where they think, no, this isn't making those killers. These are people who already are on the inside feeling yeah. some kind of urge or needing of a violent catharsis or that that's the only option they have, you know? Yeah. To, to blame the movie is to ignore the bigger picture of, you know, helping people who are suffering from mental health problems. Yeah, which that's good transition to my other favorite quote, which yeah. uh, sort of gets <laughs> into um, uh, Stu's motivation in a way. Or not, it, was, it was so good because, you know, you're talking about how good the, the characters are, what episode, uh, what level they're they're operating on. We just see him like when, when you know Sydney has that moment where she's in control on the phone, and I think she's you know she's then prodding him like, well, what's your motivation, you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. And she gets him to a point where he basically just breaks down in regret and is you know thinks he's bleeding and dying, and uh, he says something. It's just more in his delivery as much as the line itself. It's it's both. But he goes, "My mom and dad are going to be so mad at yes. me." <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's he's just regressed. Like we've seen him kind of this whole movie just fall in this role. Of like, hey, yeah, I'm Mister Smart, happening, cool dude, the hot girlfriend. Da da da. I know what's up. Da-da, you know. He's in that role but no this is this is what he who he actually is here being being shed open it's just it's beautiful and brilliant and i love it so much i know it's so good it's it's that thing that i was sort of talking about that kind of that naivete of thinking this is all just kind of a game yeah and that's well, or or just like, a movie, which is a sort of right, something right. that's discussed. We're like, we agree. We see the truth to what Billy's saying when he's seducing Sydney and says like, but it is all just one movie, you know, and that there there is truth to that, you know, as, as mm-hmm. far as, you know, a way to look at it. Um, but then there's, of course, truth and importance to what she says, you know, but also it's not just a movie. <laughs> <laughs> right. People die. And it's just that separation. Of, it's, you know, it's so consequences good. and violence not being as it's portrayed as something that can be glorified in real life. That's where that, that disconnect is. Yeah. Man, there's a lot going on. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about just technical things. Because sure. there's... I think this movie really sort of solidifies itself in it's like uh, it's kind of reached a pinnacle of a lot of the filmmaking style from classic horror and like turning it into not just a recreation of that style, but like doing it's like creating a new like perfect version of of or or like. What am I trying to say? 
uh, like a convergence of all of the things that we love about the 70s horror, like film style, 70s and 80s. And then saying, okay, those things are all great, but here's here's how we're going to take all of those and do an, our own thing with it. Mm. So, for example, they really – obviously, one of the big jumps in filmmaking for horror was the use of Steadicam, right, with Halloween. This uses Steadicam in, in such a precise and, like, technically – beautiful and sound way t- for a very specific effect and they throughout the movie they use two kind of versions uh, of well they use two devices one is is this roaming floating steady cam stuff that really makes us feel uncomfortable and we've seen that before right but they do it in such a technically sound way that like you don't even feel like it's a camera move you feel like you are just a presence floating through space with them and 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 it's it's not pov right it's not doing the michael myers sort of thing it it just is this omni omnipotent omnipresent whatever uh camera because we can be anywhere but then they do another thing which is even more sort of uh subjective camera thing which is these canted constantly canted angles at specific times but it's so specifically well placed to prime us for danger and they use it kind of in the same way that Jaws uses the score to make us think we're about to get something and then subverts that by having the score go away at certain times and having danger happen. So they use that canted camera angle in the same way where we're getting we're seeing it at times later in the movie where we go, oh, shit, something bad's going to happen. And then and then nothing bad happens. And then when we're not in a canted angle or not primed by that canted angle, we get a jump like so there like the the mastery like level that we're at in terms of filmmaking and in manipulating the audience to feel certain ways through framing and technique is so heightened and so much better than a lot of what we had been seeing, especially in the eighties, right? Like it just, it's, it's so much more uh, tuned in to visually like telling the story and priming us for moments. Right. You can just tell they're being used more as deliberate tools versus there's sort of this, this pressure of executing them at all. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. I mean, I just think that it shows how much they put into making this, not just a goofy, fun nineties horror movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which it, but which it, it is, it is. Yeah. And that's how you do that. Well, but it's like I think I was saying this wasn't wasn't I saying this in our last episode where I was just like, you know, yeah, the movie. What was our last episode? Babysitter two. <laughs> oh right, where I was saying you were sort of saying you know you kind of got on board with the goofiness and, and the and the fun and the schlock of it or whatever, and I was saying that's all fine and good, but imagine how much 
better the movie would be with these added elements of technique and specificity and like story sort of groundedness and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This this movie kind of scream represents kind of what I'm referring to, where you can have both. You they are not mutually exclusive. Well, it's in not to put it on the babysitter, but in the first <laughs> the first babysitter did do oh, that very well. Do you remember? Hundred percent. Where yes. they they brought this the POV roaming cam long take in that one yep. shot where Cole's parents are saying goodbye to him. Like totally. that's that's that evolution you're talking about being done in a yep. way that was like so in tune with what is the last uh, not the aughts the tens <laughs> the last decade. Sure. <laughs> you know what? Uh, where filmmaking was at anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So I just think this really. You know, it really firmly plants itself in the sort of the larger context of like really, really fantastic filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Even though it's it's scream and blah, well, I, it's fucking amazing. I mean, I see that this you know just talking about to cover all the aspects of the filmmaking on display, the way the way it's paced, the way it moves, it's it's incredible because it's what's that perfect balance of feeling like you're sitting with everything enough to get soaked into the world yet it just it moves like a breeze too at the same time and it's incredible like i you know reading through the wikipedia entry they kept referring to the last chunk when they're having the party and that whole finale as like the the famous 40 minute finale kind of thing which it's cool to think of it as it is just this big chunk of movie that's essentially not just the last third but the last half yeah that's but true it really does feel just like one big climax that accomplishes so much gives us plenty of time to the different beats within it that we want to relish in it's the fun when they're all having the party and gail and Dewey mm-hmm. infiltrate and just just all the happenings in there the little i love the little gimmick of the the 30 second delay on the uh camera <laughs> oh, so good <laughs> right um a couple things in the ending just to go over some of the kills um I some some things in this movie that I like were always I feel like I forget about then remember when I or our joy when I when I see them again because I've forgotten about them are um the deaths of the two killers where we have um Stu getting sm- his head smashed with a TV in one of those like perfect like hero moment uh, lines you know uh, and then we have getting smashed by the thing that they you know yeah. That they claimed was their sort of philosophical motivation, right? Like, oh, horror films. He's literally getting smashed by <laughs> so good. the the original Wes Craven horror film. His own undoing kind of thing, yeah. It's um, so good. And then we have, of course, uh, Billy. Or sorry, John Carpenter, excuse me. Not yeah, Wes yeah. <laughs> and then Billy, who it's just so much fun. Well, he gets... He's his sort of first um, injury on the part of Sydney is getting stabbed with a pointy end of an umbrella, <laughs> which is so much fun. And then I was like, would that even penetrate you? Like, ugh, let's find gross. out, Tim. Um, All right. <laughs> and then we have uh, and then, of course, that like kind of what you mentioned earlier. I just it's one of my favorite moments in this movie is when you know, it's like, oh, you know, this is the point where the killer comes back for one final jump scare. And he. Does and it's just so perfect because he actually <laughs> does just kind of go blah 
<laughs> like yeah. just kind of hang there for a moment. <laughs> like <laughs> he really has just turned into yeah. this this like single-minded obsessed little, like monster at this point. Right. And then uh and then we get him shot too. Courtney Cox saves the day. It's great. Yeah. I mean, dude, also just little little just little what do you flavor things, you know, classic flavor shit. Like Gail trying to shoot them in the safety not being on. Like uh the, the like the callback of him coming back to life um th- the the reason i probably just fucked up who's who in terms of who's making who made uh halloween they actually they reference Wes carpenter director Wes carpenter <laughs> which is genius i which, love little things like that when the the fucking yeah. the fucking janitor the freddy krueger janitor who i believe like, is played by Wes craven yeah it is, it's so good i mean it's so fucking good all right. of that shit is just it's doing here's why you know i think broadly speaking you kind of have the two big things that we've already talked about is like depth of character and foundational sort of like, uh, you know, understanding of character that makes us get in. That's that's like one huge success of the movie. The other is all the stuff we just the sort of the technical things that we're talking about. But the third one is the fun of the movie that clearly the the filmmakers were enjoying this. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't get those little pieces of flavor in, in a movie that they're not enjoying making. Mm-hmm. Like this really feels like a bunch of people being like, oh my God, oh my God, you know, it'd be so awesome is if we threw this in and oh yeah. And somebody else is like, oh yeah, you know what? It would be really fun is if we like had them watching this movie like that's the one we got to do like all of those little things you could just sort of feel the joy of making the thing right and maybe that comes out of the script originally like i i think it probably does to a large degree but it feels like when you are well i mean for those of us that have been on a set where all the sort of everybody's just sort of on the same page and and vibing with it this is the type of movie that comes out of that thing now granted i have no idea maybe everybody hated themselves on set but i think probably not considering that courtney cox and um david arquette like ended up getting married because of this movie <laughs> yeah you know i mean it, like that, it's even that kind of speaks to this like like team joy well it's just one of those where it's when there it's a great movie where it feels inevitable you know, and that's kind of yeah. what I was saying, where it felt like there's serendipity on its side, where this movie totally. is just so entirely something outside of ourselves themselves kind of thing, you know. Um, yeah. That little example of like where my favorite little moment of where like this movie, kind of like where you're saying everyone working in the spirit of it, this movie was just plugged in and meant to be. This m- moment, Tim, it's like, it, it just brings me so much joy when, the, when it happens. It's when God, I wish I could better describe why, but you'll just get it. Um, <laughs> it's you know when the the song that I sang at the last at the end of the last episode to tease yeah. it. That's kind of like the <laughs> scream theme song. Uh, yeah. r- Red right hand. They at the midpoint is when they use it like full all out. I think it's right right after the video store scene. Yep. And we yep. kind of get the montage. I think they're kind of it's like the the end of school or they're kind of like about to go into the the party that night. All that kind of stuff I think is happening. Mm-hmm. Dewey and um and um <laughs> Ned Sydney are getting out of the car. 
And when Dewey, and we're having this nice montage with this great song that's perfect for the movie. And right when Dewey slams the car door shut, it comes in on the beat of that hit in the song. Cause you know, so much <laughs> of the, the song satisfying because so boom, cha, boom, cha, and, you know, and it sort of does the, does the verse or the course or whatever finishes up and then comes back down with that boom, cha, boom. That's just so sad right on the beat of when he, <laughs> and it's just like, you couldn't have planned that. Like, I don't think they, they didn't plan this like a music video. They were just shooting the B roll, getting him to come out of the car, probably didn't even have this song picked out but when that comes together like that that's just that's just i don't know yeah yeah when i uh, think yeah those are the moments from a filmmaking point of view because it does happen you know it happens where you just get this sort of serendipitous thing like sometimes we we just call it like the happy accident but like when they happen and everybody in the room goes oh i refer to as like the movie gods you know yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's so fun. And you kind of I think when you're making a thing and that shit happens, you all kind of look at each other and go, oh, we're doing the right thing. Yeah, you know what I mean? Exactly. It just feels like, yeah, this is right. That's we're, what I'm talking we're about. on track. It's right, such a good feeling. Right place, right time. And then so yeah. then that that moment sort of, you know, in a non thinking about it way encapsulates that and just gives you that burst of just this is perfect perfect moment it's all coming together right. love it love it love it yeah um, it really is great i feel like there's more i wanted to say just in that last hole as they say the 40 minute chunk there's mm-hmm. just so much going on in it i don't know it's just great any other like big standout things why that was so great we had them fighting each other the two killers fighting each other the reveal so of great the dad is fun um <laughs> i love i love the dad <laughs> When, like, everything is kind of settled and the dad busts out of the closet still tied up and yeah. shit. Like, it's such a good moment. It's like, Jesus Christ, what? <laughs> oh, right. He's still in there. I love he's kind like, of, guys, come on. How, it does a lot. Maybe we just sort of talk about the characters or, you know, if it plays into the ending or whatever. But it does so much for um, Gail Weathers and Dewey to have them have their little relationship where it's yeah. their, their little courtship. Because they're... Cause she's almost she'd be pretty hard to like, you know, just coming from Sydney's perspective. And same mm-hmm. with with Dewey, he is such kind of a doofus. But they're both, but they're I don't know. But but we we see what there is to like in both of them, thanks to both of them. You know, well they're they're sort of perfect. Um, would you call them like foils for each other? I don't know if that's the right way to put it. But well, they're where he's, they're kind of perfect for each other. He's because, such like, a moralistic backbone. Yeah, that's right. And she's she's so kind of reprehensible in her worldview at first that he he kind of smooths out the rough edges of her. Yeah. And having them interact actually, I think, is really leads her to become a little less of a asshole. Right. And that's smart, right? Like put those two characters together and and give us a little something. And then uh, kind of makes him be less of a pushover, but still a sweet one in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got to say, I love I was complete had completely forgotten the cameraman neck slice. Right. Like I, when that I feel happened, like... I was like, oh, right. don't have to do a literal moment of silence. But like shout out to to that character, because I feel like he's just got such a short end of a stick. It's like the one that <laughs> yeah. probably everyone forgets about is just like a throwaway. Like we hardly knew ye, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Kenny was his name. Kenny Jones. Yeah. Rest in also, peace. Also, he 
he gets he gets shit on by Gale. He's not fat at all. And he gets shit on in death because remember, she's like, just (laughs) get off the car and his body flies off to the side. It's like, Jesus, he really got it bad. Poor Kenny. Oh, man. I, I, w. Earl Brown is the is the actor. I gotta. I don't remember if in <laughs> two and three maybe they give him a shout out. We'll see. I doubtful, which is why uh, especially have to. Yeah, just no. It, he's great. Probably just in a like number he, of how many were killed. <laughs> I love it when they're in the van and they're watching the you know the thirty second delay or whatever, and he's just being bored and he's like helicoptering a fucking Cheeto in front <laughs> of his face. <laughs> it's just like he probably just was doing that and they were like oh yeah keep doing that that's cool yeah love it's rose Ma- flavor love rose mcgowan as tatum she's like perfect yeah. best friend in it super fun um fun rose rep- mcgowan liked liked a tweet or, or an instagram of mine once and i found it to be very peculiar it's like how did you even see a thing that i posted what was your <laughs> hashtag like, on so, it i have no idea is it framed but on it, your it, wall no i should try and find it but i was like i've never had somebody so sort of famous but obscure kind of be like oh yeah i like that she's uh very uh, politically involved now she's super cool oh yeah yeah um who else what else i mean all the i think i mean kind of like what you said but a different way to put it like the characters and their relationships just it just it just it makes it so much fun just to know okay Sydney and Gail they have this history and it's we're doing just the right amount of it's a really good balance of what like playing catch up and um and just the exposition working in that way you know where it's just makes it feel like it's building the world necessarily either than yeah. again versus like not getting enough info or getting it dulled to us a little too obviously it's done really well yeah do you think that they really knew that they had legs with this before they shot it because like casting Liev Shriver as Cotton is you know it's it's I feel like it's not something you would do unless you knew you were gonna use him later so that I maybe just in the hopes of it I had that under things of note, actually, like Liev Schreiber, kind of funny to get. Dude, he's, he's, well, I think what it does, actually, I could argue, I think you could, you can make the argument that the casting of somebody like that is purposeful for this movie, right? It makes us think, oh shit, that's a, that's a good actor that we recognize. Maybe he's the killer and he's going to come back and, and get them in this movie you're right and i think that's that, probably that why. maybe maybe that's why they did it initially and then of course it pays off because you get him down the line i think in the series um but like I've, it's great it's just smart so since this was your since you hadn't seen it in a long time like i'm kind of wondering you know this is your you're speaking now from your kind of zoomed out this is why it's so great perspective but how about mm. anything that you have as far as how it worked well for you when you were just your experience of watching like did did you remember who the two killers were did you oh totally totally okay. but do you do you remember like who got killed along the way like what were some of were, were there surprises were there moments like what were some things that kind of like you know uh, that, that pulled you into it that you weren't expecting you know, uh, I I rem- I think when I saw it initially, I probably had seen, you know, in, you know, I saw it in 97, 
the very beginning of 97. So uh, whatever that would have, I think it was March, so February it, or March. So it's inter- it had a, it was released um, December. So it was playing into January, but then it got a re-release, I believe mm. in, in March, April. So it like kind yeah. of went away for a minute, then came back. So I'm certain that I've seen this movie probably minimum three times. Cause like, you know, that was the end of high school. And it was one of the thing for me, it was one of the things where I think in that year over the summer in particular, that movie was put on like at parties. Oh, it's huge. Maybe this is, this is where I get my, put the movie on at a party thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so I've seen this this movie quite a few times or at least parts of it quite a few times but there's a point probably in you know college or whatever where i just hadn't it never came up again so that's why i say it's probably been 20 years even though it was 23 years since i initially saw it so i remember everything i remember all of the desks except for the cameraman um <laughs> the rose mcgowan death for sure like that one always stuck out in my head um, well, what was, yeah, I totally knew the people. Here's the thing. What the, the enjoyment of watching it now was all about the nods to like, what's going to happen. So like every line that is sort of like, oh shit. I was like, yes. <laughs> Even like in the opening scene, when, when you hear him say, uh, you know, um, so, uh, because I want to know who I'm looking at. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think I would have remembered specifically that line. But of course, when it happens, I was like, it's like a warm blanket or just washing over you because you're like, yes, oh, <laughs> that's right. This movie is just full of stuff like that, like these little lines that like make you kind of tingle because you just remember how good they are. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's so many of them, like mom and dad are going to be so pissed, like that kind of shit. All of that, every time one of those lines that like triggered a memory of enjoyment. I mean, it was this. It's just like sense memory washing over you again, where you just go. It's like it's like tasting or like it's like smelling a perfume from the girl that you were in love with when you were 16. But that's a weird way. I don't mean to sound dismissing, but it's like, can't you just also enjoy the smell of the perfume, how it makes you feel now? Like, can't you like those lines? Like, I don't know. I wasn't like those lines that I said were my favorite lines. I'm like, I was enjoying them then and there watching it. Yeah, I think it's both. I think it's both. Like you're you're having this like tingly. You're just it's just enjoyment all around. I mean, I mean, even if it's just little small moments, I'm just still wondering, is it anything that was like just feeling aside from cameraman death, just kind of like uh, engaging you in a a, a fresh way or. I think probably the philosophical sort of aspect of it, like having distance from that time period Mm -hmm. and seeing how well woven that stuff is into the essence of the movie. Yeah. Really made, I mean, it just makes it more enjoyable because you have perspective on it. Totally. It's just like, I kept going like this movie, I don't think I would have thought to myself before watching it yesterday. Scream is one of the best horror films. I don't think I would have thought that to myself. I would have just thought, oh yeah, Scream, Scream's fun. I remember that movie. But watching, I was like, fuck, this, this movie's incredible. 
mm-hmm. like a front to back, um, an amazing piece of film. I w- and so I think that walking away with that was a big, it was surprising kind of. Cool. I mean, yeah, it's next year will be 25 years old. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, it's, it's like, oh. like what they say, you know, you know, movies like, like fine wine get better with age or they coalesce more, become more classic all, all great. Um, just yeah. to touch on the opening scene, which we know classic, mm. great, could be its own short film actually did start as its own, uh, at least in a written way as a short film, like where that was really? the first thing that was written. And cool. he just sort of thought of it as like just a little standalone short. Um, but, uh, the thing that always gets me about the intro, I think like what puts me in the mode of like, Oh God, this actually is scary and disturbing is when she's calling for the parents and they're walking right by mm-hmm. her as she's, as she's dying. That oh, so good. It's just so brutal. You know, it, it yeah. gets to me and it's a great, great start to the film. And then we do that, that cut to the title where it's like there, there's a gunshot as an emphasis of like, okay, just to, to be that loud and in your face. It's great. Um, oh God. Just as I'm just sort of, you know, was looking for things. Cause like, okay, you know, now that I know it's about again, like there's no surprise that she is gets killed, but just it, it's always classic because of how she gets killed and how brutal it is. Yeah. Yeah. I never thought to myself, like, Womp womp, seen it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was always like, ooh, I know it's coming. <laughs> right. Um, great, great. Well, um, the who, oh, yeah, we already talked about the who done it aspect. I just, I think I was thinking of you too, just how I know you like that kind of thing. It's well, I, here's what I'll say about that in general. I was reminded about how brilliant every little nod of misdirection there is. Like, Showing the boots in the bathroom specifically so that later when this when the cop puts his cigarette out with his boots, we see that they're the same. Oh, yeah. Like there's about I don't know, there's probably four or so of those types of moments. Um, You know, Henry Winkler sort of pulling out the scissors and like way over aggressively getting it into those dudes faces talk over about it. yeah talk about what worked for me i love that scene watching henry winkler like get so mad he's just one of those people that's fun just to like watch yeah. like kind of lose it and then and then what they do so much with his character just by having him flip out rightly so you know in a way as those kids that way and then just yeah. moments later puts on the mask and essentially know, does exactly. what they're doing. It's oh, it's so good. They also do a really smart thing with with Sydney. A couple times they have male uh, authority figures touch her in a slightly like inappropriate way. Like oh, he doesn't want like kind of, of like, like tap her on the head or like yeah, like, like Winkler, Winkler like touches that's her. That's what I was chin thinking of. Yeah, at one point, and you go ooh, you just immediately go ooh, that feels weird. So that leads us to sort of distrust him, right? Yeah. So those little tiny flavor nods to like who we are supposed to feel uncomfortable around. Mm-hmm are genius mm-hmm. because every so many characters have them at different times we're constantly going well shit maybe he's the killer and then him getting killed is great too just something about having an adult getting killed yeah. just kind of sort of you know throws us off or or just again like reinforces the the reality of it i don't know yeah 
It's a good movie. <laughs> Great. Should Great, we move right. on? I feel like, yeah, could just go on and go on. But hey, we got three more screams to talk about. So we'll we'll, right. we'll get our due. And I'm very excited because uh, those ones will be more fresh for you, huh? Or Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited, uh, especially the fourth one. Um, yeah. Great, great, great. All right. So we'll find out if there was anything that didn't work for us in our next section, aptly titled, What Did Not Work? It's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. What did not work? <laughs> Tim, can I guess you're going to say something about dated sexism and racism, or or what are you going <laughs> to? What do you got? Well, no, no. I think actually with the sexism stuff that it's a little built in commentary on a on the positive side um because it has that referential aspect of of you know it's you know if you have sex that's bad because of all of the horror tropes of that in the past that it's actually it's actually pretty good because it's self-aware obviously they're not being a single person of color Is a little like, oh, God. Not even but, like throw in like the Asian cop or whatever, like just something, you know. I know, right? But I will say that it does speak to the themes of the movie that this is this little insular, white, prosperous bubble. No, it, it, you, you did bring that up earlier and it, it does feel built into the veins of it, especially, yeah, yeah. just the, God, like what a nice, area they're in dude all everybody's house is so ridiculous right this is just like this bucolic valley of green i was like oh my god that's um, where the fuck is this we'll get to it in things of note i'll fill you in yeah um no i honestly i i got my my only issue i guess really with the movie and like i wouldn't want to see this movie with other actors i just when everybody is 25 or so and they're playing high schoolers it's just an old thing it's been around forever but it's like it is annoying to me like we i think nowadays we're we're better at it right like we're better at depicting high schoolers with people who at least look 17 yeah um you obviously you know willing suspension of disbelief you just going to go okay fine but you know, it is annoying. The I I honestly I'm not noticing it or thinking about it. Um, really? Well, that's there's, good. There's an aspect of it. I don't know. It'd be different. See, that's the thing because this movie it still strikes what it's doing of being like fun '90s slasher movie, and mm-hmm. just a sort of cast maybe you know not exactly of age actors. It just it almost feels appropriate in a way (laughs) like, or, or there's, there is something that would just be so not, not jarring, but even more noticeable just to watch like actual 16 year olds or whatever being put through the ringer this way. That's true. Or being, or, or being, you know, sexualized this way or whatever it is, you know, it's, well, I think, you know, from the sexualization point of view, because they really paint Billy as such a piece of shit, having him press for sex 
doesn't I mean, it feels gross because he's a douchebag, but it doesn't feel exploitative. Right. It, yeah. it, it actually feels like it's there is a story plot reason for it. And it makes it us kind of it makes us squirm, but appropriately so, because it also makes Sydney squirm. Right. You know, and I think like when she gives in and sort of says like, yeah, let's do it. That's a necessary moment for us to to go. Oh no, you you kind of you fell for it. Also, just kind of the ongoing tragedy of her character, like right. Geez, oh my god, like not traumatized enough already. Well, it's only going to get worse, right? She's yeah. in every movie, isn't she? <laughs> yeah. Fuck. So the only things <laughs> I had that did not work for me happens twice in the movie, Tim, and maybe this is like. Exactly what I just said, you know, is like, it's just something of it being, you know, the kind of 90s slasher movie, which it still is. But if you had just taken these moments out, it just didn't eat them. It didn't eat them. Because of the reality of the the what we're building, like the world that we're building, it crossed that mm-hmm. line for me. Um, but there's two moments during the middle where... Maybe it is when we haven't had a kill for a while or whatever. Like one of them is right. The one I remember is right after they're at the grocery store, um, Sydney and Tatum. And you see the reflection of full ghost face full in his outfit, like looking at them and then kind of ducks away kind of thing. <laughs> and then there's another one where it's like, I think they're outside. Maybe like, like, like leaving or entering one of their houses and it's like zooms in and ghost faces off in the bushes and he, he hides away. It's just kind of like, I don't know, knowing like the, the twist, it's like that it is this, these two dudes. It's kind of like, why do they dress up? What are they doing? Like what? Like, <laughs> I don't know. That's interesting. I kind of thought they were fun and funny. They're that, funny, but I like, think what it is, is like, I, the oh, this is still a thing that works the clumsiness or the clunkiness of them in the ghost face costume even when they're trying to kill somebody i think is like i love that aspect of the yeah. of the character and so it makes sense to me that they're kind of dumbasses <laughs> they and are. they would they would be fucking creeping around in the costume like dumbasses because they're they're so just bought into <laughs> what they're doing. Well, even if you can buy into that, it's still like I think it just speaks to again like the characters, the story. I'm so caught up with just the two girls talking. I'm like I just like a sec just mm. to kind of be with him and do that. I don't need this like literal constant reminder that he's like <laughs> standing right there yeah. in full cop. Yeah, you I know, it. it's just kind of like I let me let me just be in this like nice world a little bit without kind of like forcing this right. I don't know whatever yeah, onto it. Yeah, I get it. that. <laughs> I get it. You know, I I hate to say it but but I have to back backtrack a little bit here to what worked cuz we didn't really talk about it but uh, I think it's important to note that Sydney is the smartest character in this movie. She's way smarter than everybody else. She, but she's but, it's it's tampered just that little bit by her exactly. no, thinking the killer's wrong. That just speaks to kind of I think her almost like not anger issues, but like 
God, what what would she be doing without a kind of, you know, needing some kind of sense of reality and what happened in a story to be straight, how, you know, people almost need some kind of certainty to cope, you know? Well, I think what it says is there's two things going on with her character, which makes her interesting. One is that she is instinctually smarter than everybody else. Yes, yes, yes. And the other is that environmentally, circumstantially, she's getting pulled from by in so many directions and just bombarded with bullshit from everyone that that's what's sort of clouding her instincts mm-hmm. at times. And that's great shit. Like to have a character that's got that kind of like complex depth of circumstance and like instinct. Super, super cool. So whatever. Just great. wanted to make note because it's a thing I should have said earlier. Well, anything that else that did not work? Not really. I forgot to mention how good the sound design is. <laughs> we could have could have repe- repeated <laughs> again how good the music is, and but I the feel music, like- the sound, the sound design, like hyper hyper um, crisp sound when things are getting like tense or potentially dangerous, like when Drew Barrymore is popping the popcorn and shit. Like that stuff's really dialed up. Um, the the stove turning on is like really loud all of a sudden. It's like little things like that. So so, so good. Um, uh, things that didn't work. Mm, not really. I mean, it's just, that's fine. Even the things that I thought were kind of dorky or whatever, <laughs> they're, they all serve a purpose like Gail's outfits where yeah. you're just like, Jesus Christ, but that's who she is. Yeah. Her um, name is even acknowledged as being ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Man, I, really, I no, I don't have anything, really. Yeah, great. All right, well, then let's move on. Next section, last section, Things of Newt. Things of Newt! <laughs> this should be interesting. Maybe I could have said this in what worked, but you'll see why I saved it here. It's just an interesting thing when you're watching. It's the same thing like how, you know, Star Wars, the Death Star trench run. There's always that part of you that's like, oh, my God, it's there. You know, it's going to they aren't going to do it. You know, there's always that moment of doubt or like excitement that you get caught up with. Um, I went through that with uh, with Rose McGowan's character Tatum, like when she's when we know she's about to die and, you know, she's having the garage conf- confrontation. Like, <laughs> I just, I love how it still takes me by surprise in a way. There's a part of me that, like, expects and wants her to live. Um, so it works for me, but maybe why I mention it now in, in things of note, I'm just thinking how it is funny. Imagine how terrifying it would be if you're watching it and she did live. Hmm. No, not in a story sense, in a reality of the world where every time you've watched this movie, it happens a certain way. And then all of a sudden you're watching a movie and it's just straight up different, <laughs> completely shatter your reality. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what to think of that. 
anyway, just weird observation. I was just sitting there <laughs> thinking like, man, I want her to live. And I, I told myself, Ryan, it'd actually be way scarier if she like got out of the garage this time and was totally fine the rest of the movie because then she you just, just dust dusts herself <laughs> off and <laughs> walks into the woods. It's like <laughs> completely imagined her getting killed by the garage. Anyway, stupid, just weird little thought. Um, fun, funny. fun. Uh, they had a Linda Blair cameo as an annoying mm. reporter. I think she's yep. credited as. We talked about, yeah, it was kind of fun. Leah Schreiber um, is like a recognizable actor, but had such a small part. I think you're right. It makes it so it, um, so he's a suspect if yeah. he's a recognizable actor. Yeah, it gives actor. weight to it. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty funny. So a little bit about the trajectory per development production of it all written. It was originally titled Scary Movie, which is... Huh. You know, funny because the movies that spoofed it was the Scary Movie series. Um, it was named, it was retitled like right before they finished filming. So even like at their, I think the rap party or whatever, like every, all the swag still said scary movie on it. And wow. like, um, I think Wes Craven, Kevin Williamson, they, um, they were like, oh, it's a horrible title. But as soon as they, it was one of those decisions that they actually ended up agreeing with after the fact. I think it's a great title. I, I like it way better than scary oh, yeah. movie. It, yeah. It does the same thing. And then more, it like captures an emotion and then is also self-aware in a way. It's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, Kevin Williamson, he wrote this, it, they kind of talk about it in the Wikipedia article. It's just like the story of, Oh, he just really needed to, to sell one script, make some money kind of thing. So he had this treatment he had been working on that was inspired by this movie. He was inspired by um, the real life case of the Gainesville Ripper who killed high school students. Hmm. Um, so that was in his mind. And then he wrote that opening scene, but yeah, I wrote the script and it was, I think his agent told him something like this movie's way too violent and bloody to ever sell. It's never going to be made. So that's hmm. what he was working against. And then he ended up at uh, the Weinstein brothers. The Weinstein company is the one who ended up producing it. And God, like, you know, knowing, knowing what we know about them now, it just like totally clicks and makes sense. But there's this total, just, just hearing about the push pull that they offer, where yeah, it's there's so much of that muscling that you know that Harvey Weinstein, I'm guessing, or both of them, where we're like Wes Craven, he wanted to shoot it in, um, and it was very important to him, like kind of like you're saying, like shoot it in America, like it, it's a part of the mm. story, it's woven into it. But they were like, well, we can save a million dollars if we shoot it in Vancouver. So they almost got to the point of firing Wes Craven over that disagreement. That's kind oh of like God. really testing his metal. That's always what he's all about. To rewind a little bit how it kind of worked out with Wes Craven getting on board. At first he was he was uh going to direct God, what was it? Some other um, another movie he was attached to at the time that fell through and he was developing and like he didn't really see like much in Scream or didn't really, you know, wasn't too on board with it. But the one who kind of uh, was the first domino, not to fall, but Drew Barrymore was the first kind of actress, actor, like noted actor to sign on for it. Just kind of had come across the script somehow and mm. was super into it, kind of without any pressuring or without any asking. She was just, I think she's the first one who just like saw this potential and it was really excited for it. And then hmm. from her is kind of where I think that because she was on board with it, that's kind of got Wes Craven to look at it a bit more and other actors to sign on. And, uh, and here we are. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. It was shot 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Craven reasoned that scary movie, which is known at the time, might be different from other films of the genre he had previously undertaken. And so that's when he accepted the job. Hmm. Uh, shot all up in... It's like... Where I'm from in Marin County, it's it's super nice. It's like... But this is this is the area that, that where they shot it, and that's like even like the, the nice foothills of like even further north of where I am. So this is like Sonoma County, um, oh, okay. wine country, Santa Rosa, ah, all around there. <laughs> it was fun. So a few years ago, they did a special VIP exclusive screening. I'm sure it cost a pretty penny where you could talk about meta. This is why I mentioned it. It's so cool. The owners of the main house, I think it's Randy's house, or is it Randy's house, or is it um, supposed to be... I think it's Stu's, Stu's house. house. Yeah, Stu's house at the end, the big the big um, yeah. set piece. The owners of that house, I think, finally turned over. So the new owners, they, they hosted or allowed an outside company to host a <laughs> screening of Scream in the living room. Ha <laughs> ha! Do as That's like a amazing. sleepover or whatever. Can you imagine? Yeah, watch it. God, like how meadow to be in that living room <laughs> watching them watch Halloween, you know? <laughs> right. In the same living room. Oh my God. Crazy. I loved Sydney's house. That porch was ridiculous. I love big porches. That view. God, that was my favorite house out of the houses. Anyway. Oh, Matthew Lillard. It was fun. He was cast kind of on a whim where he was accompanying his girlfriend uh, who was on an audition of her own that had somewhere else in the same building. And the casting director on Scream, Lisa Beach, she saw Matthew Lillard in the hallway and just asked him, hey, can you audition for this part? And (laughs) then she says he got into the role with, quote, incredible ferocity, which just Matthew Lillard is just one of those actors who can always thank for uh, cranking it to 11. Um, Yeah, like when he's literally like like drool spitting all over his face in the end. So good. Also, why he was cast in this particular role in Twin Peaks The Return, he gives one of the best monologues in anything ever and just does it in a way that only he can. It's so good. Anyways, um, what do do you got? Uh, I like the list of other actresses who auditioned. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Alicia Witt, who... uh, What do you know, Alicia Witt? I mean, she was in Twin Peaks. Um, She was in... Dune. She's like the the uh little girl in Dune. Um What do you know her from? Dune. Okay. <laughs> well who, who else? Um, I don't really know that name. Okay. Brittany Murphy. Yeah, my favorite from Ironic. Cherry Falls. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Reese Witherspoon. Cool. Uh was was asked but never auditioned. Um, you know, and ultimately Craven was into Nev Campbell, who crushed it. I could see like a brunette Reese Witherspoon doing mm. pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Interesting shortlist. Yeah. Other people who <laughs> auditioned for Gail Weathers, Brooke Shields, Janine Garofalo. Those are interesting ideas. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can see both of those working. They're different, but um, yeah, it's just cool. It's fun to see who how different it could have been rebecca gay hart and who you know who that is she's like a model she was the she i think she was famous for the like um 
what's that face uh, wash Neosporin or something oh, like yeah. that? <laughs> is that what it is? I think she... Not Neosporin. No, uh, n- n- I don't remember what it's called. But anyway, she she auditioned for Tatum. Um, and then I believe she goes on to be in Scream 2. Oh, I think you're right. Um, oh, I just said another thing that was apparently intentional with the casting that was kind of distracting to me, honestly, but like, cause it was, uh, another Wes Craven movie, but was how mm. Skeet Ulrich looks yes. just like young Johnny Depp in a nightmare on Elm street. A hundred percent purposeful. Except there's something about Johnny Depp in that. That's like at least kind of endearing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, it's perfect because yeah, you want you want to have that flavor of the thing you remember about Johnny Depp, but like Skeet has this kind of inherent like creepiness to him. I just wonder like how did people when this first came out were they viewing Skeet Ulrich? Like did did they, oh, like- they lo- I think people loved him. Yeah. I feel like he was like adored. He was like teen throbby of that era that's what the feeling that i just kept having watching it was like while i was sitting here only hating him i just have to imagine an audience 96 having a prior relationship to him mm-hmm. and just kind of being like oh yeah skeet Ulrich, yeah you know. I, I think as i think i was in that camp where i was like oh dude yeah skeet Ulrich, like he's cool like i want to be like skeet Ulrich. <laughs> he's like a cool dude and i'm not <laughs> You know, like oh, how far you've him. come, Tim. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, great, great, great. We should do. Um, well, let's do a, a filming locations tour, and you can see. Uh, oh hell yeah! So you see how pretty it is up there. The f- Santa Rosa High School. I'm so mad at just like how my hometown Santa Fell after three days of one of my favorite movies, American Graffiti, was filming in Santa Fell. Santa Fell kicked them out. They had to <laughs> relocate to Santa Rosa, actually, but Santa Rosa. Or no, to Petaluma. But um, Santa Rosa High School, they there was all this hullabaloo of allowing the film to be shot there where they were having like, I think it said something where it was like, you know, everybody, you know, just different parents, people from the school, people from the city were like meeting up at the school and debating this for a few hours about the pros and the cons of allowing a film like this to shoot there. So they ended up just shooting it at the Sonoma Community Center, worked totally, (laughs) worked out, looked like a school to me. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah, I don't know if this still goes on in the same way, but man, the 80s and 90s were just full of people flipping out over shit that is not yeah. the thing to flip out Well, over. they were sensitive to it because it's apparently comp- it says comparisons were made between the film violence and the kidnap and murder of Polly Class three years prior. So someone who is oh. like a, a more local, yeah, a murder that happened in Epiluma in 1993. She was 12 years old. Oh shit, I've heard of that. Kidnapped at a slumber party in Petaluma. Yeah. So, so, so it was just, but okay. if, if it was at the time of filming, it was only like, you know, a couple years out of this happening. Yeah. All right. That, that, at least there's something to that. It's not just like broad based, right? you know, f- whatever, like. It is funny that like, it's, it's hard not to just get that picture painted when it's like, yeah, the school board insisted on seeing the script and immediately objected to the violence, the, the cynical dark dialogue and the, yeah, all that. Hmm. Um, Wes Craven kind of made 
a good point that was kind of funny sort of calling out the the weirdness of the uh of the MPAA where oh trying to you know that you can imagine that first scene was especially troublesome but it's just at a certain point you know like when you're you're let's say you're just cutting and cutting the violence down and then uh, they they basically essentially are com- uh, um, complimenting him as a filmmaker. They said, you know what? Actually, the issue here is it's just too intense. <laughs> like it, it's not the on screen violence. It's just that it makes it's it's comes across, it's too intense. So it's like you, they you know that's that's the point of it though. It's just one of those like funny things like where yeah they're they're. Uh, they're trying to censoring like what is actually the whole point of the scene, even minus the violent that it's not even the on-screen violence, but just sheer intensity. <laughs> yeah. That's a pretty arbitrary uh, metric. <laughs> right. And well, and just is basically a, a backhanded compliment though. You know, it's yeah, like speaking yeah. to how good a job they did. Yeah. True. Well, you got anything else? No, man. Tim, man, your thoughts in the way you, um, you sort of think about it and pick this apart. I'm very excited to get to two and three and four mm. with you. It'll be fun. And we'll be here soon enough. Great. Well, we do have before, well, we aren't going to pull a film, but we do like to sort of wind down with a recommendation. Anything else you've been watching you want to recommend Ed or eating or reading or. <laughs> yeah, man, I had this great quesadilla last night. No, um, <laughs> Actually, you know, I was going to recommend Dead something else, but your mention of the MPAA reminded me of an incredible documentary on the MPAA. It's called This Film Is Not Yet Rated, and it just – it really shines a light on how ridiculous and just arbitrary at times that organization is and, like, how they came to power and, like – how much influence they have over the rate, you know, like over the content, the creative content of films. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, it, they're, they're whatever, just watch it. Cause it's man, it's a deep dive and it's, there's some really upsetting stuff in it. Just the hypocrisy of how that organization like views what is morally worth being in a film or not. It's crazy. Um, I think, let's see, it was a, it was produced, weird, it was produced by Candid Camera, Netflix and BBC Films and distributed by IFC Films. Um, So I'm pretty sure it's, it's probably still on Netflix. I, I, I'd imagine it's not too hard to find, but it's awesome. Cool. And enlightening for sure. From a filmmaking standpoint too, it's like, it's like, it's really frustrating. (laughs) Equal parts enlightening and frustrating. (laughs) Yeah. What's it called? But it's great. It's called This Film Is Not Yet Rated. Great. I will recommend Dead. I watch, I'm i just trying to watch films that I feel like, you know, recognize the title of but have never seen kind of thing. Um, I watched for the first time Leaving Las Vegas with Nick. Oh, wow. Yeah. Nick Cage and Elizabeth Shue. And yeah. I loved it. I thought it was great. I loved the themes at play. I loved both of their performances. He won an Oscar for it. Oh, great. Yeah. Well, there, yeah. No. Someone who's playing like it's 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 fun. It's heartbreaking. The style is so, incredible. It's so so heartbreaking. <laughs> um, Ugh, but kind of like what you're saying too. A good um, mid '90s snapshot in a lot of way. Yeah. America mid '90s. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
Anyway, that's, that's all. a good one. Thought it was cool. great. Nice. Leaving Las Vegas. All right, Tim. Well, we aren't pulling anything because next week, next episode, we will be staying in the Scream Averse for Scream <laughs> Two. Very excited. Woohoo! Great. Well, until then, you can find us, find it, find us, found us, find us wherever you found us <laughs> or at dismemberinghorror.com and uh, all that good stuff. Anything else, Tim? Thanks for listening. You guys are great. You're yeah. such a great audience. We love you so much. <laughs> Tim's voice sounds sarcastic, but I know he means it. <laughs> I'm serious. I can't not sound sarcastic even when I'm being genuine. Fuck. It's just, it's, you know what it is? It's just, it's, it's having fun being here. This is what we do. What's, what's, what's yeah. why, it's why we're doing it. And <laughs> yes, and we do mean it. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you very, very much for listening. And we will see you next time. Good, good. <laughs> <laughs>